Scott Lucas, this is World Unfiltered. In August of 2016, in the southern Russian port city of Sochi, the Turkish leader, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, met his Russian counterpart, Vladimir Putin. More than six months earlier, Turkish Air Force had shot down a Russian jet fighter over southern Turkey as it was on its way to a bombing mission in northwest Syria. The incident led to a lot of disapproval from Moscow and also some economic retaliation. For example, tourism was discouraged by Russians into Turkey and Turkish products faced restrictions. Whether or not it was because of that economic pressure or political maneuvers, now in August 2016, there was a meeting to try to mend fences. There are rumors about this meeting. Some folks say that a deal was struck, that in return for enabling or at least allowing Russia to work with the Assad regime to reclaim Syria's largest city, Aleppo, Russia then gave Turkey a free hand in Northwest Syria, including a movement against mainly Kurdish areas. Well, behind rumors, there's always wider things we need to understand, which is the pattern of Turkish-Russian relations. In the region and around the world, are we looking at a long-term cooperation or just simply a relationship of convenience? Well, I'm here to learn, so I'm gonna to turn to someone who knows. Dr. Emre Ershin, he's a lecturer at Marmara University, and he's one of the world's leading authorities on Turkish-Russian relations. For example, a series of articles published in Geopolitics, Insight Turkey. He's the co-editor of a book on Turkey's evolving relationship in Eurasia, the pivot, he calls it. Emre, welcome to World Unfiltered. Thank you very much. Okay, all right, I'm your student now. World Unfiltered is your student. So let me start off just you know, with a bit of historical context. The Turkish-Russian relationship, or shall we say the Turkish-Soviet relationship, and then Turkish-Russian, has it been marked by cooperation over the last century? Has it been marked instead by conflict? Or has this been an up and down relationship? I think uh, it's been an up and down relationship. I mean, of course, currently we are talking about the significant rapprochement between Turkey and Russia. And for that reason, many people assume that this has always been the case. But if you just take a look at the long history of Turkey's relations with Russia, uh, conflict and cooperation are actually equally important. And we need to keep in mind, for instance, that even before the foundation of the Soviet Union and the Republic of Turkey, the Ottoman Empire and the Russian Empire, they fought uh, so many wars with each other. And in fact, the um, Ottoman leaders uh, regarded Russia as the hereditary enemy of the Ottoman Empire. So we need to keep that in mind. Their geopolitical rivalry over the Black Sea, the Balkans, uh, the Middle East, uh, this has been one of the main um, dynamics that shaped the relationship between the two empires. And if we are to take a look at this long history between the two countries, actually the periods of cooperation are relatively shorter uh, compared with the periods of uh, conflict. And uh, for example, yes, it is true that there has been a, a very close dialogue between the Soviet Union and the Republic of Turkey in the 1920s, uh, especially the personal you know, dialogue between uh, Mustafa Kemal Atatürk and Vladimir Lenin, uh, mainly because uh, the Russians supported the nationalist uh, Turks in the War of Independence. But starting with the Second World War, we see that uh, the, the rift between the two countries grew a lot. And as a result, Turkey became a member of NATO, so a member of the Western Military Alliance. And then uh, until the end of the Soviet Union, I don't think we could call this, these two countries as partners 
or allies, please. And in the 1990s, the relations were also quite troubled due to a number of issues, especially their geopolitical competition in the Caucasus and Central Asia. So it's actually a very recent period where we see some kind of an understanding that emerges uh, between Turkey and Russia. So yes, cooperation is quite important if we are to understand the nature of the relationship between the two countries. But in the background, there are always uh, these factors uh, which result in conflict or significant disagreements. And we see the, the, these disagreements in different regional issues, in Syria, in uh, Caucasus, in Libya, etc., etc. Okay, so I made you know, the big pitch in the introduction that August 2016 was this very interesting moment where you might have had a turn from conflict to cooperation, at least in the short term. Is that the proper way to understand what happened at that point? And, and where's the position of that meeting, not only with Syria, but with other issues that involved Turkey and Russia at that time? Well, you already mentioned my latest edited book. Uh, I edited together with a very distinguished professor from Wilkant University, Sechkin Köstan. And in that book, our um, objective was to understand how this process really evolved, especially after 2016 which, as you rightfully suggested, is a significant turning point in Turkish-Russian relations because uh, in November 2015, Turkey shot down this Russian fighter jet, which resulted in a significant crisis between the two countries, economic uh, retaliation, uh, sanctions, etc., etc. So there, when we tried to analyze this new situation in Turkish-Russian relations, we saw there were actually three different levels of analysis. Uh, the first thing is obviously Turkey's relations with the Western countries, with the United States and the European Union, and especially belief in Turkey, which is quite widespread, especially in the public, but also I think to an extent in the government, that uh, the coup attempt in 2016, July in Turkey, had something to do with uh, the United States. So uh, that was probably one of the reasons that pushed the Turkish government even closer to Russia, even though the rapprochement between the two countries started uh, earlier than that. So this is probably the global dimension of that rapprochement, the common reaction against the West, because we know Russia also has significant troubles uh, with the United States and EU, especially uh, after its annexation of Crimea in 2014. So um, that, that is the global dimension. In the regional dimension, obviously Syria played a significant role in this rapprochement, because especially after Turkey shot down the Russian fighter jets. It was, in a way, isolated completely from Syria because Russia deployed its advanced S-400 missiles there. And as a result, the Turkish fighter jets could not even enter the, uh, the Syrian airspace because they were completely prevented by the Russian systems. So it became extremely difficult for Turkey to do anything in Syria. And this was quite important, uh, especially at a time when Turkey was fighting the PKK and the ISIS and other terrorist organizations. And thirdly, definitely the domestic dynamics. And domestic dynamics, again, brings us back to this debate about the failed coup in Turkey in July 2016. And I think uh, at that time, uh, because of uh, what happened in Turkey, they felt uh, Putin was the, the man to, to turn to. Because again, he was one of the first leaders to call uh, Erdogan and offer uh, Russia's support. And in a way, the muted response from the West, and I think, I mean, this is also about some kind of a disappointment, because I think at the time, the Turkish government really expected this support to come from its NATO allies, since we are in an alliance relationship. But 
Obviously, that didn't happen. And it's really created an atmosphere, which is unprecedented, by the way. I mean, normally, when you take a look at these opinion polls regarding Russia in Turkey, um, the Turkish people are not always favorable about Russia. But there was a time between 2016 to 2017 when people really thought Russia should become uh, the main partner of Turkey against uh, the United States, which is quite ironic, again, if you keep in mind that the United States and Turkey are in the NATO alliance. So uh, this, these, um, I think, feelings and uh, developments are, should be evaluated together in order to understand why that rapprochement has been so fast, uh, starting from uh, summer 2016. Okay, that's, you know, that's a great explanation for me in terms of, all right, where the rapprochement comes. But at the same time, as you've noted, we are in a situation in 2021 where the two countries are nominally on opposite sides of certain conflicts. Libya, I think, would be a headline example with uh, Turkey supporting the internationally recognized government, but Russia supporting the insurgency, if you want to call it an insurgency of General Haftar. And of course, we have the conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan over Nagorno-Karabakh, in which both countries are nominally in different positions to start off with. I mean, is it a case that they are managing differences or that Libya and the Nagorno-Karabakh incident just aren't as important as that domestic context and maybe other issues like Syria, which you've described? Well, a colleague of mine calls this relationship as managed regional rivalry. So we cannot really say, uh, I mean, sometimes I'm really surprised to see that many people regard this as a strategic partnership or a strategic alliance even. But I think that would be an exaggeration, obviously, for the reasons you also mentioned. Because when we take a look at most of the regional issues, they are actually, again, uh, supporting opposite factions. And even in Syria, today, there is definitely some kind of a strategic understanding between Turkey and Russia, and also Iran, regarding Syria. But uh, this doesn't mean that they really support each other's positions in every issue. On the contrary, in Idlib, for example, everybody is expecting a new clash between Russia and Turkey. Maybe this will not be a direct clash between the armies of the two countries, but uh, as you know, uh, it has turned into a proxy war. And uh, I think if we are to expect a crisis in Turkish-Russian relations in 2021, it would most likely come in Idlib. Uh, this is what I expect, at least. And apart from Idlib, there are also other issues in Syria, especially Russia's special relationship with the Kurds uh, in the north and the YPG especially, and I don't think Turkey is happy to see how official those relations have become. And in most cases, for example, in Turkey, uh, people actually accuse the United States of supporting the YPG as a main actor, but Russia also has extensive links with the YPG. And uh, this is, again, another problem. So even in Syria, which is expected, I mean, which we all think uh, is the backbone of this Turkish-Russian dialogue, there are significant issues. And the other issues that you mentioned, they're equally important. What happened in Nagorno-Karabakh between Armenia and Azerbaijan, I think was quite exemplary of the way uh, Russia perceived Turkey's role in that region. They were very reluctant to permit Turkey to have a say uh, in the Nagorno-Karabakh resolution. Another important development is, uh, is happening in Ukraine, which is probably the thing that would uh, antagonize Russia the most. Turkey is really developing its political military links with the Ukrainian government, especially these famous Turkish drones. They, they just uh, are making some agreements 
And uh, I'm not sure if the Ukrainian governments will be using these drones in eastern Ukraine, in the Donbass region, but that would definitely be uh, quite uh, irritating for Russia. In Libya, once again, the conflict is evolving. So again, uh, the reason why they're cooperating is because I think they see each other as lesser evil. We need to, again, take a look at their relations with the Western countries, uh, I think. I mean, because this is a time when Turkey is having significant problems in its relations with the United States and the European Union and Russia similarly. And so as a result, they don't really have any other alternatives. And of course, for Russia, there is also an added advantage of having good relations with Turkey is just to create a significant rift in NATO. I think that is the essence of these famous S-400 uh, debate, because I think um, for Russia, uh, sometimes people uh, argue that Russia would be uh, quite unhappy if Turkey doesn't activate them. I don't think Russia would care at all. I mean, because Russia achieved what it wanted to achieve already by creating the significant divide inside NATO. One of the main NATO allies is now having significant problems with uh, the other members because of this dispute. And secondly, it also got its money. And this is actually a commercial transaction as well. So if you think about all these things in this slide, I think it would be quite meaningful to call this a managed regional rivalry, as again, as my colleague suggests. Okay, so if you're talking managed regional rivalry, does that mean that we are not seeing the next Eurasian bloc, which would not only be Turkey moving towards Russia, but for example, Turkey possibly moving closer to China and in the region towards Iran, and therefore away from a US-European bloc? Uh, well, I mean, I know there are uh, significant supporters of the idea of a Eurasian bloc with Russia and China and Iran in Turkey. There are some groups uh, which support this vision. But I think in the long term, even the Turkish government's objective is not that. I mean, I think it's quite meaningful that President Erdogan and other uh, Turkish leaders are frequently also making reference to their ties with the, uh, the European Union and NATO lately for a reason. Because I think, I mean, uh, even if we take a look at the economic dimension, for example, uh, you need to see the fact that there is a huge trade imbalance in Turkey's relations with Russia and China. And most of Turkey's exports are to the Western countries, especially Germany and other EU countries. So economically speaking, many uh, analysts actually refer to this relationship between Turkey and Russia as an asymmetric interdependence. They agree that there's some kind of an interdependence between the two countries, similarly with China. But if you just keep in mind that Turkey is actually buying from Russia and China, but it cannot sell anything to them. This is really a significant problem and it doesn't bring any benefits to Turkey. Yes, the trade volumes are uh, growing and these two countries are in the top three uh, of Turkey's partners. But again, the top partner of Turkey has always been Germany. And in that case, there is a very balanced relationship. This is the economic aspect of things. Secondly, if we are to regard Turkey's relations with Russia and China from a more ideological point of view, I don't think uh, there is any reasonable international organization in that region which can uh, compete with either the European Union or NATO. From time to time, we hear some um, statements from President Erdogan as well regarding uh, Turkey's membership in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, for instance. But Shanghai Cooperation Organization, if we just focus on what it has achieved so far, 
It, it is nothing that can rival NATO. It's not a military organization. It's just a very loose security uh, framework. And I do believe the Turkish leaders are quite happy about remaining uh, in NATO as one of the main members of NATO. And uh, sometimes I'm shocked to listen uh, to some commentators in Turkey suggesting Turkey should withdraw from NATO. And what will happen then? I mean, this is a security guarantee for a middle power. I don't think we should exaggerate Turkey's capabilities either. I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people in Turkey uh, they, who believe uh, Turkey is a superpower, but unfortunately, this is not the case. We always treat, as international relations scholars, a country like Turkey as a middle power. And being a middle power is not something bad, by the way. I mean, middle powers really achieve a lot of things in the international uh, scene. But um, again, a country like Turkey uh, cannot, I think, sacrifice its links with the West. The same with the European Union. I mean, despite all these problems, and I am also aware that uh, it's not going to happen. I mean, Turkey's EU membership is not going to happen anytime soon. But what can you put in the place of the European Union in Turkish foreign policy? A Eurasian Union? Uh, it's absurd. I mean, the Eurasian Union today only includes countries that are dominated by Russia in that region. Belarus, Armenia, Kazakhstan, yes, I mean, they might be important countries on their own, but this would not be an alternative for Turkey. So again, uh, if there is a Eurasian alternative in Turkey, I, I don't think that is what, it's in, what it says is that Turkey should be moving away from the European Union. I think quite the contrary, Turkey actually should stick to this bridge role that connects uh, Eurasia with Europe. I think that is what makes Turkey so important geopolitically. And Eurasia, to have a Eurasian alliance or Eurasian bloc, which is quite ambiguous, by the way, we don't even know what that means. Uh, I'm not even sure whether Russia and China actually want to create a Eurasian bloc in the first place. So I'm quite skeptical about it. Okay, I guess looking beyond Russia though, uh, I was gonna ask you a lot about economics, but I, mm -hmm. I think we know that China is arguably the Asian economic power. And we have the vaunted Belt and Road Initiative, which is extended so far that even Italy is part of it. So do you see the Belt and Road Initiative in any way altering your assessment you've just made right now, that it could shift that Turkish calculation of what is largely economic ties looking west, as opposed to possibly security ties looking east? I don't really think so. The reason for that is, again, because the Turkish economy is so much integrated with the Western economies, there is still a long way to go with China. And if you take a look at this one uh, Belt One Road Initiative or the Belt and Road Initiative itself, the countries which participate in that, especially if they're underdeveloped economies, are now having uh, hard times because you know, China is actually turning them into an economic slave. And yes, I mean, China is a giant and it's growing, but you need to be very careful about the relationship that you're going to um, establish with China. Even Russia is having a hard time, by the way. I mean, many people nowadays, uh, especially dealing with the Russian-Chinese partnership, are also concerned that Russia is actually becoming a junior partner uh, in its dealings with China for understandable reasons. So uh, again, I don't think the Belt and Road, I mean, it is important that Turkey has a multilateral foreign policy, and it's really good that Turkey is also appreciating the rise of Asia and the, the other rising powers, because it's not only Turkey doing this, by the way. Even President Obama had this uh, Asian pivot uh, strategy, for example. That's why we named that book as Turkey's pivot to Eurasia, because we once wanted to 
uh, make a reference to what Obama said about Asia. Uh, similarly, Russia and other European countries, they all have this type of uh, an Eastern you know, orientation in their foreign policy. And, but I think for Turkey nowadays, it's much more pragmatic, pragmatic rather than strategic. Turkey is not shifting uh, its orbit to Russia and China. This is not how I see it. In some cases, uh, I think, I mean, what Turkey is now trying to do is to create some kind of a balance, which, is, which has always been the essence of Turkish foreign policy, by the way. And um, especially if you take a look at the history of Turkey's relations with the West, and the East, especially with Russia, you would always see this attempt to strike a perfect balance. Obviously, this is a very hard thing to achieve. Therefore, sometimes the balance shifts too much towards the East, which is from time to time the, the case, especially after 2016. But I think uh, a, a successful foreign policy would be only about maintaining this perfect balance between the West and the East. To use uh, Russia as a significant card in order to get some diplomatic, you know, to achieve some diplomatic ends uh, in Turkey's relations with the West and do the same thing vis-a-vis uh, -vis Russia and China. Uh, but of course, I mean, uh, I cannot judge the success of it. I, I'm, I'm sure many people are quite uh, critical about how these objectives are achieved for rightful reasons, but I think this is currently what the government is trying to do. So this managed rivalry, or maybe this managed relationship between Turkey and Russia, how much of it really now turns upon personality as opposed to institutions? Or just to put it bluntly, how much of this is dependent on President Erdogan and President Putin? And what happens if either or both of them disappear from the top? This is again a very good question because I just attended right before the pandemic started a conference regarding this book. And we were talking about these different levels in Turkish-Russian relations, global level, regional level, and the domestic level. But somebody asked us, what about the personal level? Isn't it all about the relationship between the two presidents? To an extent, yes. I think this personal uh, relationship has really played a significant role in the development of Turkey's relations with Russia. And I also agree, it, would, uh, it is probably the, a risk for both countries as well, especially if uh, one of these two leaders are not there anymore in power because this personal chemistry is quite important. The way they see politics, the way they challenge uh, some liberal ideals that are promoted by the West, the way they uh, promote conservative values in their domestic politics, make the two leaders closer to each other. But again, this is the weakest point of uh, this type of personal relationship. And again, I mean, this is also what we saw in Erdogan's relationship with uh, President Trump. So in short term, you might probably uh, earn a lot of things by you know, uh, using these types of personal links. But I think it's much more important for us to look into the uh, uh, intermediate term or the long term. And in that case, again, of course, I mean, to an extent they play a role, but apart from that, there are also significant reasons that bring these two countries together. Once again, we should not forget that uh, I also have another article uh, about this. And the periods of Turkish-Russian rapprochement always take place at times when both countries have significant problems with the Western countries. So they actually get closer to each other. They are forced to get closer to each other because they cannot 
have the best relationship with the West. It's the same for Russia. Russia is also very, I mean, the relations with, uh, between Russia and the West are deteriorating very rapidly. So uh, I think even if the, these leaders are gone, uh, but of course, I mean, obviously nobody expects them to go soon, by the way. I mean, President Putin just changed the constitution to stay in power until 2036. And I'm sure President Erdogan is also quite powerful uh, in domestic politics. And so, so uh, I think uh, it will be a challenge for the Turkish opposition to, to beat him in the next elections. So as a result, uh, I think as long as they remain in power, this is what I can say, and this is what I see for the short term, they will keep this momentum. And, and they really like each other. I, I'm not sure if you watched the latest uh, press conference of Putin. He praised Erdogan once again, and Erdogan also similarly said, they are fond of each other and they, that style. And I think this is really creating some uh, significant momentum for development of the uh, relations between the two countries as well. All right. I'm going to book you in to come back in a few months when we get the Biden administration in to see yeah, if I, that changes the dynamic. But yeah. for now, you talked a lot from the Turkish perspective earlier. Really well. let, me, let me ask you to try to put yourself into the position of Moscow now. Mm -hmm. Where at this point does Turkey fit into a global strategy if Russia has a global strategy at this point? Where is Turkey? How important is it? Well, I think once again, for Russia, Turkey is an important regional country. Iran is an important regional country, but there are much more important countries for Russia. Obviously, it's the United States. Obviously, it's China because Russia sees itself as a great power. I don't think, I mean, one of the main reasons why Russia was so irritated uh, when the Turkish forces shot down a Russian fighter jet in Syria back in 2015 was because uh, they thought they were humiliated. Only a great power can do such a thing to a Russian fighter jet. And if the United States did it, I think that would be much more uh, acceptable for Russia. So uh, in that case, I think one of the main, uh, I mean, one of the main reasons that make Turkey important for Russia's strategy is to create this rift in NATO. If you take a look at all the post-Cold War Russia security documents that are approved by Russia, I'm talking about the foreign policy concept, the military doctrine, the national security strategy, NATO is the main regional rival for Russia. Even today, I mean, and sometimes I'm quite uh, confused because uh, it is a good thing to have this cooperation with China for the Russians, obviously, but I'm not sure if it's really working uh, uh, to the advantage of Russia. It's actually working to the advantage of China, even in the economic sphere. Russia became so dependent on China because it has all these problems with the West. Uh, now, I don't think that that relationship is, is something that the Russians want. So the relations with the West, once again, will uh, be quite important for how Russia sees uh, Turkey or how Russia understands the new regional role of Turkey. And there are obviously some lines that Turkey should not cross. One of them is obviously Azerbaijan. It's Russia's backyard. It is called the Near Abroad. I just read a recent development. I'm not sure if it, that's the case, but uh, somebody claims Turkey is now building some military bases in Azerbaijan. That would definitely be a line uh, uh, not to be crossed. Uh, so the West, once again, I think that is the summary of what we discussed so far. Uh, plays a much more important role than the relations between these two countries or bilateral than the bilateral relations. A diplomat once told me, he said, you know the problem being a diplomatic bridge 
is that bridges break. So I'm going to ask you, we aren't supposed to do this, I'm going to ask you to look ahead one year. A year from now, do you anticipate that Turkey will still be the bridge between Russia and the West? Or will that bridge have broken because of some unexpected or even expected development? It's a tough question for all these different and unexpected uh, regional crises that evolved in 2020, in addition to the pandemic in Libya, in Caucasus and etc. But I think here the, uh, the, the main uh, development that we need to watch is Biden and how he will react to all these things in foreign policy. How Biden will see the relationship with Turkey, how Biden will see the relationship with Russia. I think that is the key element uh, or, I mean, it's really very hard to speak about short term, but uh, I think in 2021, the Biden administration and its policies with regard to Turkey and Russia will also be quite important in terms of shaping the relationship between Turkey and Russia regarding S-400, Turkish sanctions, and et cetera, et cetera. So obviously, if Turkish-US relations deteriorate next year because of all these issues, Turkey will uh, try to get closer to Russia. Again, this is a marriage of convenience. They, it is forced to do that. So uh, my advice to the Western countries would be to do everything to at least, you know, uh, not burn all the bridges. I know that it's quite hard for them to reach out to Turkey because of all these different problems. But I think it's also quite important to listen to each other because, you know, even if you don't like the idea, you're talking about a significant NATO ally and you need to do something about it. It's not only about the United States. I think the European Union should also be uh, dealing with Turkey in that way so that Turkey is not completely pushed to this, what you call uh, the Eurasianist block. And again, I mean, there are many groups in Turkey uh, who support this vehemently. I mean, uh, if you just take a look at the recent opinion poll conducted by the Kadir Has University, they do it all the time. Uh, people do not love Russia. It's obvious when you take a look at the percentages. Uh, but whenever Turkey is uh, isolated or uh, cornered, they are quite open to the idea of finding other alternatives or other partners. So um, again, I mean, if this happens in the relations with the West, then this would, uh, it could create a significant problem between Turkey and Western allies, I believe. Remember, I'm going to have you back in a few months. We're going to follow up to see what the Biden administration has done. Sure. But for now, Dr. Emre Ershin, I want to thank you so much for being the very first guest on Deep Dive Politics World Unfiltered. Um, I do look forward to crossing paths with you uh, very soon. Hopefully. Let's hope, that, let's hope that Moscow, Ankara, and Washington all watch this and learn from you. But in the meantime, folks, let me thank you out there for joining us on our pilot videocast. We're going to be seeing you real soon. But until then, stay safe, stay sane, and be decent to each other. I'm Scott Lucas, and this has been World Unfiltered. Thank you.